You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years of this is Emeritus Rex. Hello, I'm Aprom Kipolevich, and I'm here with Rabbi Ruvain Joshua, Yoshua, possibly, Pupko. <laughs> the ra- you can laugh. The rabbi of base Yisrael base Aden, uh BYBA in Montreal, Quebec. For those of you who've been listening and don't know who it is that we're talking to. You know, in my in my program notes I write one of the most influential rabbinical figures of North America. And uh indeed, I, I wanna talk about something that uh probably almost every show rabbi uh, encounters. Even I, in my uh, short stint, had to navigate a pretty messy one. Um, so let me set the scene for you, Rabbi Pupko. Uh, I assume that in your role, one of the the great joys is officiating at the marriage uh, to be the Masada Kedushin, uh, to be the arranger. And I, uh, does BYBA, uh, you, you never talk much about the specific show. I know you don't want to uh, get yourself in trouble, but do you actually have weddings in, in your show or do you use, or in Montreal, do they go to uh, hotels? Yes, sir. The show, the show can. No, well, I, I do, I do, yeah, their weddings, wedding wedding. There is there, the show yeah, is large enough. Wedding, yes, the, 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 the show is large yeah, yeah. enough to have a wedding. Okay, so you've probably officiated in that building with a show, and there's been couples, that, and couples might have even met as families within the show, and then you officiate, and I'm sure that's you know, it's a time of tremendous happiness. Uh, Great joy. Yeah, but things start to crumble. Uh, things aren't going the way they should. Maybe it's immediate. Maybe it's 10, 15 years. Maybe it's when the husband is 40-something years old and somehow he likes sports cars and other things that lie on top of sports cars. I mean, you never know what it is. Um, <laughs> I'm talking about old car and driver magazines and the commercials. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about... Uh, um, and then all of a sudden, whatever it is, or maybe it's just because this shouldn't, you know, it, perhaps it shouldn't have happened in the first place. The couple is now, and uh, clearly they're they're splitting, and um, and now the same couple that was a, a wonderful family, maybe even a couple that was at one time honored as couple of the year at one of your uh, events at one of your uh, annual uh, dinners, and I'm sure they're splitting up, and there's children involved. They're in your show. And um, I know that could be a pretty thorny situation, especially if the couple that has been calling Rabbi Pupko to answer their halakha questions and other things now approach Rabbi Pupko either individually or as a family unit to speak about the discord. And they start telling you some of the stories of what's going on. And what happens possibly is Rabbi Pupko, in his sage wisdom, understands that this marriage is not working. And the marriage can then put asunder. Maybe maybe even you're the one who arranges for that divorce. What what is if that happens, and I guess and that scenario is not a fictional one, right? It's not no. it's not a fantasy. It's happened before. Why don't you talk about things like that? I'm I, I just painted that picture for our audience. 
for them to get this idea of, of, of what this means and how the shul represents the bonding and now the unraveling and now the separation and, and, and what happens uh, to, to these couples, to, to, this, to this husband, to this wife, to these children. So why don't you uh, pontificate uh, about this and, and, and let us know about, about how you've navigated some of the thornier or more difficult situations that came up. Okay, I got there. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> Listen, I, you know it's a it's a pretty well known uh, idea. You know, it's first in literature, but everyone knows it's true in real life. Is that uh, unhappy families are uh, have their own? Each one has their own unique dynamic, and um, there's the public face of the couple. There's the, obviously the private story of the couple. Um, you know, I have to say, I've been in the same show for, for over, over three, de- three and a half decades now. And uh, one of the greatest, as, as you mentioned in your opening, great nonsense is watching, you know, kids grow up and marry, have their own kids. It's a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful nonsense, I can't tell you. And, uh, you know, I've now married, you know, the children of people I've married. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It really is a, a great nonsense to see the continuity of families. Uh, the flip side is, you know, is the pain of seeing uh, some families disintegrate. And um, it's not that common. It's not that common. I, I you know, my, I can be right. I, I can, you know, there are years and years and years in a row where none of it never happens. But then there are times, of course, there are families that break up and it's, uh, it's very painful. It puts everybody in their circle in a difficult position. Again, but the private, they don't, they, they deserve much less sympathy than the direct victims and i call them victims which are who are often children uh of divorce and uh collateral damage uh between a, a, a you know a couple that uh that splits it's very painful for everybody it's painful for uh, the parents of the couple for the children of the couple uh it's painful for the friends of the couple it's disorienting to people I'm also let's be blunt any divorce in a community is uh, triggers a lot of fears you know, people who are themselves in relationships that aren't great, or, you know, one or another of the couple starts getting fearful that it may happen to them. It's disoriented. It really is. It's uh, when, when couples and families are, are tight, as they are in, in most Orthodox shows, and people socialize together intensely and see each other intensely, and, and what Simchas, Yantif, and everything else, it's disoriented to people. And again, it, create, it triggers fear. And sometimes that fear translates into anger. I mean, people get angry at other couples who divorce because of their own fears. You know, there's anger there, uh, which is the opposite. At, that's the opposite of what the couple the couple needs. They right. they need sympathy and support. Right. And but they, it, it can trigger anger. It can trigger anger at the at the half of the couple that's viewed as the guilty party. You know, if if uh, if the woman want you know wanted to get you know you know. Wanted the divorce, and the husband didn't. Or the husband wanted the divorce, and the wife didn't. Those who trigger it are are sometimes, you know, the focus of other people's anger, uh, <clears throat> anger at at just unsettling community. It unsettles people. It deeply unsettles people. I mean, if we go around screaming for as we do that, families are the foundation of everything we are as a people. Then. When one family breaks, it's it's disoriented. It is, and again, it triggers uh, fear and triggers anger. It does, and uh, 
listen, generally speaking, I mean, I say this with no resentment, but generally speaking, women are viewed as victims and men are viewed uh, as uh, as the problem. I mean, generally, generally, in many exceptions, obviously, that, uh, that women get more sympathy to divorce uh, than men do. But again, again there, there are many exceptions because, you know, if a guy is married to a, a, a woman who's widely reviled as a hilaria, obviously he'll get to rock But But um, every situation is different. Every situation is different. And the, and and most of the women the do not, Most of the women are not Cruella Deville, right? Most we don't know what goes on behind door, closed doors, so it's very unfair. And anybody who imagines, anybody who imagines they understand other people's relationship is pretty, you know, it's just delusional. I mean, nobody understands what goes on in someone else's house. No, no, but nobody really knows. <laughs> Sometimes the couples themselves are aware, and you, you, you know, it's very hard to understand other people's relationships. Also, let's be blunt, life expectancy is different than it was 200 years ago. That which you could tolerate knowing you'd be dead at 50 is very different than today. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. I'll tell you a story. I remember when I was about 17 years old, I went to see my uh, my late grandmother in the hospital. And I, I went, I was of the youngest of the grandchildren. I went with uh, the oldest or the next to the oldest of, of the grandchildren, who at that time was, I think he was in his late 30s or mid-30s. And he was the only one of the marriageable age cousins that wasn't married. And he was, you know, on the verge of becoming, uh, you know, whatever, you know, committed bachelorhood. And I, I went to the hospital to visit my bubba. And, and my bubba looked at him and said, I won't use his name, you know, protect, you know, the identity. But he said, no, why don't you get married already? She said to him, yeah, it is. And he said, I, you know, I can't find the right person, whatever it is. And she said to him, it's classic fancy care. The whole thing is 30, 40 years. What's the big deal? <laughs> right. I mean, she said it with a smile on her face, but it was very funny. But the point is, uh, you know, um, well, I said it in a flippant way, which is true, is that people's expectations today are radically different. Oh, yeah, when you're well, raised, when, when, when kids get married today, they have sometimes unrealistic expectations about many things. You know, unrealistic expectations about how safe and secure their lives will be. And that's why COVID was so shattering for them. They thought they could construct a life which left them, you know, protected and immune from all of the vicissitudes of life. Fact is, you can't protect yourself from everything in life. And and when marriages collapse, it's, uh, it, it's it, now I, I don't mean to say that people should accept misery, but sometimes people do have unrealistic expectations. You, you know, you know, we've talked in the past, you know, when we get together, uh, in these incredibly popular podcasts, we've talked a lot about the difference between what the world was like when we were growing up. I mean, right. we're, you know, we're like the um, entitled baby boomers, but we still remember the old generation. We were still, both of us are really European in, in, in many ways, despite our, right. uh, our, our, our artful consideration and love of American culture, of North American culture. We're all European. And we remember that d- divorce was such a stigma when we were uh, around. Um, w- there were couples that you could you could ten- you could sense the tension uh, crackling uh, between them, um, and yet uh, perish the thought uh, of them separating. Um, and, and that's just the way things were. You know, you you, you had the henpecked husband, or, or you had the the wife that was browbeaten. Uh, but that that just stayed, and I think 
um, you know, in the 80s, in the 70s and 80s, we saw we started seeing divorces are on the rise. Look what's happening in the Orthodox world. It's incredible. There's a divorce plague. And I think now the, the shock is over. And I think that the, I, the, the concept of, you know, I, I think I want to mention the, the, the great Nifter, uh, Rabbi Tversky, uh, who said, you better be careful before you mention that word, <laughs> divorce. Uh, you have to be careful before you raise that specter. Uh, because once it's out of the, once the genie's out of the bottle, the situation is different. Well, that's true if you do start talking about that way, but it happens much more frequently and I, it doesn't have the same sense of shock and trauma that it used to, right? I mean, the idea there's, was- There's an upside and a downside because in a world where divorce is almost unthinkable, the good part of that is it can be the great motivator to try to make a marriage better because you don't really have another choice. I mean, you do, but it's unthinkable for whatever reason, societal reasons, uh, your children, whatever it is. And if it's unthinkable, one way to think, you know, one possible result of it being stigmatized, and, you know, or, or just viewed as a distant possibility is that you try to make things better in the marriage. Obviously, the flip side is you're also trapped. And, and, and if the marriage can't be made better, that means you're doing one or both of them to a lifetime of misery, which is not, you know, you know, which is the, you know, it, you know, I'll tell you something. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the oldest jokes. Somebody, is, I told him since so, I don't know, 25 years ago, one of the oldest jokes around, but it's very funny. You know, this guy, uh, Rabbi walks into show. He sees a young man there who's, who's miserable and he goes over to him. He says, what's the matter? The guy says, you know, I can't find a shit of Hi, I, I can't find him. He says, what's the matter? He says, every time uh, uh, I, I bring a girl her home, my, my mother doesn't like my, my, my mother doesn't like it. Um, and, uh, um, and, and, and he says to the he, he's the rabbi, says, listen, I, uh, I have a perfect solution for you. Find a girl who's just like your mother. You'll be all right. In this way, you know, you bring her home, your mother will like her. You know, you have a problem. Your mother rejects everybody you bring home. You know, find somebody just like your mother. All right. Next time the rabbi sees him, it's four months later, he's still miserable. And he says, what's the matter? He says, I did exactly what you told me. I found a girl just like my mother. And I took her home. He says, the rabbi says, well, what was the problem? So my mother liked her. He says, but she, you know, because she was just like, you know, my mother. My mother liked her. He says, so what was the problem? The rabbi says, well, my father didn't like her. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's a classic old joke. But yeah. the point is, the, uh, <laughs> you know, some people, you know, you know, we're just doomed, you know, you know, the other great joke is the guy walks in the cemetery. I don't know why I'm doing this. Why am I telling jokes? Anyway, guy walks in the cemetery. And I think that's what you do best. <laughs> he walks in the cemetery and he sees a man hugging a tombstone crying. I mean, this is really an old joke. And he's bellowing, why did you die? Why did you die? Why did you die? And the man wants to, you know, give comfort. He says, what's the matter? He says, he must have known this person very well. What's the relative? He says, no, I never knew him. I never met him. He says, so why are you crying so much? He said, it was my wife's first husband. Why did you <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, you know, but you know, you're right. The lower expectations can sometimes lead to uh, 
some sort of cold piece. And, you know, I, I sort of think of, you know, Tevya and, um, and his Golda. wife, Tevya and Golda. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, when Golda says, okay, love, you know, okay, <laughs> 25 years, you know, I've been doing this stuff. Love, shmov, look, we got the three kids. We're here together. Let's make a go of it. Okay, look, you know, you've got your, you go ahead and talk to God and you have your own little fantasy world and, and, and have chalemus and go to drink with Laser Wolf, you know, and I yent around with the yent of the matchmaker and, and, and quetch about my kids. And that's our separate lives. And, and yet we can still get together. You know, I can, I can come home for Shabbos and, uh, you know, we can both smile and sing sunrise, sunset, and that's Kishmak. So that's sort of a, uh, a, a you know, as uh, it ain't so bad. Okay. In other words, it, it, it's not the Hollywood love story. It's not Heathcliff and uh, from uh, Wuthering Heights. I oh, forgot right. what I, I forgot what the the girl's name is, but a great movie for somebody to watch. I mean, it's yeah, Merle Oberon, I think, and Lawrence Olivier. Yeah, yeah. But the but the point is, is that okay? It's not this great love, but. I think that's what our parents and grandparents and yeah, okay, this is this, all right. But that's not the mentality today. And that's not the way we raised our kids. Our kids had different, uh, they saw even sexier, steamier rom-coms than we did. And that's sort of what they expected. And that wasn't being fulfilled. And perhaps they didn't get the right counseling from rabbis like you and others in the beginning, or maybe there were things that cropped up later. Have you ever been in a situation where you were really weren't sure should this continue or not? Like, w- w- before we get into the effect in the shul, when you're when they're in front of you, like I in, in my intro, like they're now in front of you, you're their rabbi. They both trust you. What telltale signs are you looking for to determine that you know what I've got to tell you that I think you should proceed with a divorce? Give us an example. I hate to use the word, the easy case is where there's clearly um, some form of, uh, you know, where, where, where one party is, is profoundly, profoundly sad and, and disturbed by the, the situation, by the marriage, by the quality of the relationship. And also where there's clearly some kind of uh, uh, abuse, not only physical, but there's some kind of emotional abuse. Uh, a partner uh, where somebody is always demeaning the other one and is never supportive and, and is, 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 you know, no one should have to live like that. And the, the, no child of our people should have to live like that. And is it possible for someone who is the perpetrator of that kind of abuse, that person to be reformed? It, it, you know, you know, our whole Outlook on life is predicated on the belief in shuva and people can change, but you know the other part of our brain tells us it's you know it's not all that frequent. And uh, again, lessons that Rabbi Tversky has written about, and his daughter-in-law have written about, about not holding on to that fantasy, especially when you when I'm sure when you see the evidence in front of you. Yeah, I mean, how can you? Yeah, you know, you know, how to stand by and watch something suffer. You can't do that. And if, if there's real pain and real suffering, listen, some some problems in marriages are stupid. You can figure them out. You know, the guy isn't helping enough. So you yell at him. All right. 
has that no. ever has that ever worked where you've brought a couple back from the yeah, break? Of course. Right? You know, by yeah. call, by yeah, giving I, them I know, some... you know, I wouldn't call myself the Michael Jordan of marriage counseling, but you know, yeah, I mean there's certain things that are easy. You know, a, a husband isn't around enough. You know, you know, you tell me, you know, you gotta you know, you gotta strike a balance in your life. You don't have to be in the office uh, every night or traveling all the time. Yeah. Can I can I can I mention just on that note uh, one of my favorite stories? You know, um, we talk about uh, who was the great American Godel, who was the great uh, 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 human uh, fellow <laughs> who was raised in America and yet became really a superstar. The first one, I think, that most people agree with is Rav Mordechai Gifter. Yeah, Rav Gifter. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Rav, Rav Gifter really was an American boy, yeah, went yeah. to Sabotka, and really, you know, was was brilliant and and uh, really a, a very strong, incredibly charismatic yeah, yeah. figure. Anyway, uh, a younger man came to Rav Gifter and was talking about the fact that he got he got married recently. And he was talking about his wife's demands of what he needs to do around the house. And of course, he was learning in the Kail and the Tells Kail and was one of the top Hever there. And and she expected him at night uh to be to be to to be cleaning and taking the garbage out, where he, he had to be spending time learning and, and, and working on his chidushim. So Rev Gifter said, Okay, you know, um look, uh I hear what you're saying. You know, I want you just to go home. And uh, and you're going to think about this. The next morning, about an hour before uh, he was expecting it, uh, you know, to, to leave the house, there's a intense knocking on the door, and 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 you know the the coil guy opens his eyes and puts on his robe and not, who is it? Who is it? And the voice comes down. It's Max Gifter. I'm here to take the garbage out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but. And, and 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 again, teaching a person sometimes, you know, to to get off. His... No, but also part of the blame is, you know, in, in the yeshiva world, where these we send our kids to yeshiva, and for ten years in a row they're told stories about the godel who sat and learned and didn't do anything else, and you know, and, and no one really tells the full story about how they were with their wives, and which I mean, it's, it's a lot more. Pleasant and, 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 and edifying, and, and the Bachem are, are led on, and and they have these crazy expectations. Some yeshiva guys have crazy expectations about what a wife is, and, and they let her, you know, they, they think she's supposed to be some kind of shmata. I mean, it's ridiculous what, what, what happens. You know, these guys, you know, especially in the Shidduch world, where for some reason the male commodity is, is considered is ranked higher than the female commodity, and 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 you know, and. Uh, and the girls are taught basically, you know, you should be a good wife. Let, let, let them learn. Let them learn. That's your role. And it's not good always. It's not always good. You still have to be a man. But, but I think, you know, you know, listen, we, we have, uh, because of where we come from and because of our love for the yeshiva world, we've been critical. But even in your modern Orthodox world, you still have those expectations which are unrealistic for husbands to wives, right? If it's not necessarily, you know, I want you to let me learn. It might be. You know, you've got to look good when I come home at night. Uh, you've got to be taking care of the kids. I'm I'm the one who's bringing home the paycheck. I'm the one who's right. getting the, making the payments on the mortgage, and and that could also uh, right. And and sometimes I guess you you it, 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 just to be positive, after you've had that schmooze with them, 
the couple is able to somehow manage a, a cold piece and, and work things out. Sometimes I, I, I like to think that sometimes could you know be better than, a, than just a cold piece, but people make, in other words, people make very clear decisions about their lives in these situations. They try to calculate what a divorce would mean for them socially, economically, and in terms of their family relationships beyond uh, the marriage. And those calculations, you know, uh, are, are, you know, are often lead people to stay marriages that are on purpose. But neither is it a source of, of terrible, it may be disappointment, but there's a difference between disappointment and, and, and absolute misery. And people sometimes accept disappointment because of the other because of the uh, of the other issues in their life, uh, no one should accept misery. Misery, no one should accept. Disappointment, people. People. Some people can yeah. accept, and some people can't. And sometimes that line is really dependent on you, yeah. whether well, you're going to let, where you're going to allow yourself to be miserable or just subtly or, disappointed. Or the alternative way to look at it is they have found enough joy in other aspects of their lives that sure. the disappointment can be. You know, it can, it can, it can be tolerated. I understand that very well. Let yeah. me ask you that. Um, okay, so now you've determined that the in our theoretical and it's happened that the it must be a divorce, despite. And you talked before we started recording. We when I mentioned I wanted to talk about this, we talked, of course, about uh, the the price paid by the children and who, like you, I think you called them the real victims before we started recording. And that's clearly true because. You know those scars are very hard to uh, to undo. But we'll talk, let's leave the children on the side for a minute. Now that they are divorced, what usually happens in your shul? Do you find that the couples stay, and now there's like two camps? And the, is there ever an, an issue of a division? Some are the man's friends, some are the women's friends. They're still coming to shul. And what what was just used to be in your office is now playing out in the kiddish room or right. You mentioned before that it, it, it hurts people. Do you ever find that there's a problem with both couples, with, with the husband and wife coming back to show? Or alternatively, if they get remarried and now the families are both back with their new husbands and wives. Talk about that a little bit. Well, listen, um, most of the time, almost all the time, when there's a divorce in the show, one part of the couple leaves. I mean, you know, people make a joke about this when, you know, you know, the couples fight about custody of their kids. They also have custody of friends. Like who friends stays with, you know, some of the friends stay with the, uh, with the guy, some friends stay with, with, with the wife. You know what I mean? It's very hard to have joint custody of a friend. It's tough. I mean, some people pull it off, but it, it's tough. Because uh, they're all, always, not always, but often these loyalty tests. Oh my God, how can you be my friend and still say good job to so-and-so, you know? And I, I, I don't believe in loyalty tests. I, I don't, I, I try to talk people out of that stuff, you know? You can't demand that kind of, you know, team spirit in a divorce. You know, everybody takes your side and castigates the other as the source of all evil in the world. You know, people are people. You know, you can't demand that. But um, some people do. And, you know, it depends on what was the divorce, what was the reason for the divorce. You know, if it was a flagrant crime and, you know, triggered the divorce, you know, people are more likely to, you know, to have, be forced to pick sides. But but generally, generally speaking, either because of their own awkwardness or not want really, or their unwillingness 
not to impose awkwardness on others is one one of the one one, one half the couple will leave. This shul go to another shul. It makes it easy. The problem is always simply that you know what he did about mitzvahs and all this stuff, and it's very hard to navigate bar mitzvahs and weddings for the children of those who are uh, who are split. You know, I you know. You know, the, yeah, uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit? That might have you, you know, ever I, had I mean, the most classic, the most classic argument is at a wedding, right? Mommy and daddy are divorced, the daughter gets married, getting married. Um, who takes her down the aisle? Right. So daddy's new wife insists on walking down. Now, if you have a second wife who insists on walking down, you immediately know she's a hilarious <laughs> because what's most important to her is how she's perceived, not anybody else's other unhappiness. Not the appreciation for other people's uh, thinking on this matter, what it will make other people feel like. And somehow her stepdaughter's wedding becomes a platform for her to make a statement about how much her husband loves her. No, that's not why your husband's daughter is getting married. It's not a stage for you. So you're just a hilarious. But however, hilarious often win. Right now, so. <laughs> I would say in that case, and I love your use of cholera because I use it in the same way. Um, my grandfather died of cholera, of cholera, so uh, I, I love using it. Um, and but isn't there an easy option with the cholera is to get the if there is a stepfather on the other side, so you have the woman, the girl is really right. so. So here's what happens. So I always. Uh, I always advise couples, mommy and daddy get to walk you down, finish. Now, in some situations, what you do is you have both, let's say mommy and daddy are both divorced and they're both with other people, uh, they're both remarried. So, uh, uh, so, so mommy walks down with her new husband, stops halfway down the aisle, he goes away. Uh, daddy <laughs> walks down with his new wife and she is halfway down the aisle, waits, he goes away. Kala walks in. We do a docking procedure like like the Gemini spaceship. We do a docking procedure in the middle with mommy, <laughs> with biological mommy and daddy, and it goes on. There's a way to keep showing where they, but you know, do I stand in the chuppah? Do I stand in the chuppah? Do this? Do I do that? The people who make issues out of this, right? In other words, you're not going to negotiate. Listen, we always you can't negotiate with terrorists. You also can't negotiate with bribes. They have these ideas in their head, and it takes more than a crowbar to. To, to get it out. Uh, you know, uh, uh, let me throw in two things on that. Two, just two little options on that. One option, you know, I had this with my son who got married in Eretz Yisrael. That uh, my mechutin, what the 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 husband and wife. In other words, me. I uh, you're going to what? No, it's 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 the the two fathers walk the, right. the chassan. I was going to point that out. Right, right. So that, right. It, it, and, and he had to get a, he had to get a psak, my mechut and Erzog who I've spoken to twice since my son has gotten married seven, eight years ago. <laughs> but anyway, he doesn't know how to call me. He doesn't he doesn't realize that you can get an, a number to call America. Anyway, Eikshia, Rav Reuven, you don't speak English anyway, but here's a little bomb against you. But anyway, the point though is, is that that's my mechutin. But like, I have to ask Ashila whether we can do this. It's such a lack of tzniyas. Like The Israeli way is to do it differently. The Bnei Brak way was to do it differently. But you know what? The Rav told him, this is the minig in America. You should allow him to do it this way. Which is, so I no, am but my... There's, but there's, some, there's a benefit to the Yeshivisha way because this way you have less of a conflict of, of a divorced couple. Together. That's right. So no, no, you... there are advantages to that. You know, I, I, uh, but 
I believe that every parent, you know, who's not again, who's not raised in the sinister world or whatever, you know, grows up with the anticipation, you know, greatest joys walking your child to the chuppah. And, uh, and and no one should be denied that in, in the normal circumstances. But then you have situations where the child of divorce is really angry at mommy or really angry at daddy and don't want them. And that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. And, and there, let's just say that the hilaria is not the hilaria. The hilaria right. was really the mother because the mother or the father hilaria was not the hilaria. He was the stepdad who really took care of this uh, child. Right, right. Yeah, and, yeah. and and the real biological parent was absent. I'm sure that happens too, right? Well, so what happened? Sure, every possible permutation has occurred. So w- what would you do in that case? I always try, try to remind people that the purpose of simcha is not an arena to fight out old battles. That, it, that a simcha is a simcha. And, you, and no one should do anything to share, to disrupt a simcha. Everyone should try to make everybody happy. At, 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 at a bar mitzvah, and I've seen this too often with bar mitzvahs, and, and, and it's horrible, where people just forget who the bar mitzvah is about, and the kid is put through hell, anxiety, and misery about his own bar mitzvah because mommy and daddy can't grow up and, and move on. And it's a nightmare what some of these poor boys have been put through at bar mitzvahs. It's horrible, horrible. And, uh, you know, I, I'll say, uh, you have to sit with me and my family. No, you sit with him. him and you have to do this. Uh, Friday night is this. Shabbos is this. No, at a bar mitzvah, you're all together. At a bar mitzvah, you all sit there and smile and you're together. And that's it. Finished. And there's no, there's no other option. Yes, stuff you don't want to do, you do. You do it for your kid. And if you can't do that, I mean, well, what are your credentials to be a parent? You have to, you know, you swallow and you do it. And you do it. And you do what's right. And, and, and too many people in these situations, also, often with barbicides, divorce is fresher than it is for a wedding. Often, I mean, not always, but... You know, and, and these people are angry. I can't sit with them. I can't see them. I can't do this. My father, you know, uh, my, 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 uh, the, the, the mother of the rest will say, my father is paying for the bar mitzvah. He says, I'll pay for it only on the condition that my ex-son-in-law doesn't get in the lead. What does that even mean? I mean, what does that even mean? Who are you helping with that? I mean, what, what laudatory goal is being accomplished by that? Tell me. You know, I mean, you know, the stupid stuff that people do, you know, people are angry and, you know, cinema papelis is sure. I mean, it makes people stupid. Anger, anger makes people stupid and they end up hurting people. They claim to care about the most in the world. They claim they're willing to give up their lives for, but they'll make them miserable. Oh, I have to show. I have to do. I can't allow. I have to. Do. What is that? Yeah, it definitely, I think what it indicates, and I'm just sitting here back, is that they really have, have not uh, come to terms. And and where a simcha occurs, all that repressed issues and not such repressed issues rear their head. And it's not about where they're sitting. It's deeper than that. It has to do with all the unresolved stuff that never that that, that never. Right. Uh, I, I have to tell you, what we talk about. Let's let's wrap this up here with another question, uh, and I'm going to once again insert things from where I'm from my own experiences. Um, you know that I also work uh, uh, as a as a as a Dian in the best. You're the, of uh, you're the Michael Jordan of Dianity. 
yeah, yeah. I am the uh, I'm more like um Horace Grant, I guess, or maybe uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe BJ Armstrong or one of the uh one of the very small role players. I'm John John Paxson who who Oh, okay. Right, you don't expect me to be the guy, and then I'll get the ball. You and get the guy, yeah. I'll are. get, I'll, I'll drain the three, <laughs> and and then I'll go down in history. Um, maybe I could be the Steve Kerr, like you know. Not only did oh. I, not only do I, do I sort of win the game when you don't expect it, then I have a career afterwards where I'm writing books and everybody is coming to me and I'm getting scholar and residence jobs in Montreal and stuff like that. Right. But anyway, subtle hint. <laughs> but anyway, the point though is, okay, so in, in my capacity, we had a case where um, we had a, uh, um, uh, a divorce situation where the wife was came to the Besden to rearrange what had been the... Uh, custody arrangement that the courts had allowed. And part of that custody arrangement was you get them on weekends, right? The, and that is common, that the husband, since he's not working, uh, gets the kids on weekends and the kids go to their shul. And she had been hearing reports, maybe from the kids themselves, about how unready he was to take care of the kids and that the kids were not uh, getting the type of attention positively in the shul. It's a very, very difficult case. And we needed to speak to the rov of the shul uh, because obviously each party was, he said, she said, and we called in the rov and the shul and the rov and the shul gave us a much more objective story. But I remember being so moved by the husband, you know, he clearly was not ready for being Mr. Mom and really being able to handle his gaggle of kids at, at shul. Um, and, and, and I remember how difficult it was for us to sort of agree that perhaps actually we came up with, uh, I don't want to give too many details, but we came up with a counseling option that we thought could maybe work to allow him. Now, has that ever happened with you where you've had the, you talked about the wife or the husband leaving, and now the husband is there with his kids at Shul for Shabbos. Um, does that, has, has that ever occurred with you? Not exactly like that, but I think in general, though, ex-wives and ex-husbands have to accept a certain truth, which is that when the kids are with mommy or the kids are with daddy, no, no two people are alike, and each parent is going to do things the other parent doesn't like. You know, one parent will be more careful about homework. One careful, one, one, one parent will be better at this. One parent, you know, uh, let's order hamburger and fries. The other one will make a healthy dinner, right? That, but <clears throat> what crosses the threshold of being so bad that you have to start rewriting agreements and going to a bed? And uh, no two parents are exactly the same. And, and I think that all of us as parents and all of us as children know that, you know, we were blessed with parents and uh, and we were blessed to be parents. Our parents weren't perfect. We're not perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to say the wrong thing, and you know, and teach bad habits and hopefully some good habits. And and we have to tolerate that. You have to accept the fact that in divorce, things are going to happen in the household of my former partner that I don't like. But not everything you don't like is actionable. I have you know, to tell. I have to tell you, in our case, 
the kids were very happy being right. the kids. The kids were happy being Vild and Shul. You know, right, the, kids, exactly. the, the, the kids were happy like running around. You know, you know, despite the fact that the mother thought that they were being, you know, uh, you know, being right. abandoned. Also, like, what yeah, people yeah. don't understand, what people don't understand in divorce, is that winning is often losing, and losing is often winning. That means the partner who is less demanding and is bavater on certain things and even on the amount of time uh, and, and everything else often ends up the victor because the parent who fights and yells and screams to get everything they think is coming to them, when the kids get a little older, begin to understand what happened. And, and the one who won, those those victories are often fleeting. And, 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 and people need to see the long right? I have to play the long game. And the long game is What's best for my kid? What makes them happier? And what, what, what behavior should I embrace that increases the possibility that I'll have a better relationship with my kid the rest of my life? You know, that's the most important thing. And if you're, and if people can be smart enough, instead of seeing the next Pesach and who's going to get them for the Seder, but to see the long term. And I think the key thing also is, I mean. Yes, there are a lot of bases. You have to yell at people sometimes to get this through their heads that no one should ever speak to somebody against the other parent. You know, I mean, it's not it's generally not as extreme as parental alienation, but no child, even the child of Al Capone, wants to hear bad things about their parent. Nobody wants to hear it. They may know it's true, they, they don't want to hear it. And no mommy should badmouth the daddy, and no daddy should bad. Now the mommy never a bad word, not you know nothing. It should never ever happen because, first of all, it's bad for it's anyway. But the most important thing is you don't cause pain to your child. And we all say we would give up our lives for our kids to protect them from everything, and for us to be the cause of that pain, you, you have to put your kids first. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes you need to just say that baseball bat that daddy brought home with the red streaks on it yeah <laughs> yeah that's a beautiful thing that's a beautiful thing um let's let's wrap this up with perhaps uh, uh the best type of divorces if they occur and it's never when they do but maybe the best type is when you have a couple that stayed together for 40 45 years and um raised their kids their kids are now well-adjusted, basically, despite, and now they just decide to go their separate ways. Um, and, and and you don't have that trauma, you don't have that fighting, you don't have right. the custody issues. The, you know, we hear about things, and again, I know many people, I have friends who, uh, you know, and you, you sort of raise your eyebrow and say, oh, that's interesting. Does that ever happen, like these amicable? Yeah, sure. I'll tell you, on the one hand, you have to respect that in many ways. And I'll tell you why, because what it meant was obviously is that one or one of them, at least one of them, was terribly miserable, but held out until all the kids were married in on the road. And they didn't want to impose that situation of you know on, on, on younger children or on simchas and all that. I understand. But again, I, I wouldn't say it's a pure unadulterated good. In other words, in terms of the contrast of the younger divorce. And the reason for that is I've seen the pain on the face of kids who are now in their 20s or even early 30s 
where that happens, and then they begin to reevaluate everything they thought was true. You know, so that all I'm saying is, yeah, I would say people who wait until they're credited and it's less pain than the other, but don't think it's not without its own problems. In other words, they, there really is a, 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 you know, a shattering moment of realization that that which they thought was true, mommy, daddy being happy and loving each other and all that, maybe wasn't so true. And and, and that can be deeply disturbing, depending on... Right, but, on, but, on but, 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 but I, I would just push back on that for a minute and say, yeah, it's true. There's like, what's going on? I thought my parents loved right. each other. Just, does that mean that they didn't love me? Does that mean this? And, and that does cause, and, and, and I do think that the parents and the, the adult children can have a discussion about it. On the other hand, I think at this point, there's a shift. We all go through this shift where our parents become our friends right, and, right. And, and then we care for them. We could actually be adult enough as children in this situation to say, you know what? My parents right. were great right, and, and, and let them now have their, their, their lives. Right. Um, I once heard from a very smart man that we both loved a lot um, when they were talking about um, their situation. The way they said it was, I gave that person my 20s. I want my 30s. Right. What I would say, and you know who I'm talking about, but yeah. what, I what I would say is we could say, look, our parents gave us their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Let them now have their 60s and 70s. And right. maybe, and, and, and I think children should be able to, to understand that. And I think that they're, I think in that situation, you probably don't have the steely knives out. Right. You no, no, you're right. No, I, again, given the, no question, no question at all. Much preferred option for kids and everybody else. I'm just saying there is an element, you know, it's not perfect. Okay, right. But, but I would say there. But anyway, let's hope that, uh, as we say, you know, in, in, in this era of rancor and issuing the, the debates between, you know, political parties and, 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 and all other sorts of <laughs> conflict that you're seeing there, um, that the this crucial aspect of Shalom bias, which um, is really a, an art to be able to master. Let's let's hope that, that that we're going to still have the same sort of sage advice and hadrocha uh, from the people that we look to in order yeah. to sort of steer that ship. All right, that's it, my friends, for this week. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.